We've now got a situation in 2022 where Carter's case says that you can be taxed on income you don't receive. And Section 100A and the ATO's material regarding that say that, well, you might not be taxed on income you actually do receive because it's a reimbursement agreement and it actually goes back to the trustees. You're listening to Australia's podcast for accountants, Tax Talks, the podcast to grow your firm. episode 362 of Text Talks. This is Heidi Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. In the last episode, we covered the Carter case. If you haven't listened to episode 361 yet, please do so since this episode will make a lot more sense if you do. So in the last episode, we discussed the Carter case where the taxpayers had won in 2020 at the full federal court. But now comes the high court in 2022 and rules the exact opposite. In this episode, Andrew Henshaw of Velocity Legal in Melbourne will tell you what happened, what the High Court ruled and why. But first, a different question to Andrew Henshaw. Somebody mentioned, and it might have been you, somebody mentioned that some funny guys sometimes put into a trust deed a default beneficiary as the... um, tax commissioner so that if something goes wrong, the tax commissioner receives the um, tax law entitlement of one billion. Have you heard of that? I've never seen this in a trust deed myself, but I've seen some commentary and posts by people saying that that was apparently a more common practice in years gone by and that potentially because of this case, that might become more popular again. So do you want to have a guess, Heidi, what uh, what the High Court said? I just know what I would have argued, but I also see the problem with it. I would have argued you were presently entitled on the 30th of June. Tax is payable on the income on the 30th of June, so that is your accessible income. But the problem I see with it also links back to what I asked you before, and that is, in theory, you can make anybody presently entitled. You could make your neighbor who you really hate presently entitled, but pay the income out to to yourself, but make your neighbor presently entitled, and then they have to pay the tax on it. I can imagine you can do quite bad scams with it. Well, yes. And of course, the, the, the person does have an entitlement, but I think the real issues arise when there is a big mismatch between the trust law entitlement and the tax bill. So just before I get to the result, I'd add that this argument was first raised in the full federal court and all three judges in that case said that it sort of goes back to the very start. So if I disclaim, let's say, six months after the end of the income year, when I become aware of it, then it's treated in law as if I was never presently entitled because like, it's under the concepts of gift. So we sort of got to go back to the very start and say, well, because they disclaimed, even though that was done later, the law will accept that they were never presently entitled to that amount. So, so three zero, that was said. As you can probably tell by now, I wouldn't be building this up so much if it wasn't a different result in the, the high court. So what the high court said was that, and five nil, I might add, was that well, the law says, and section 97 says, present entitlement, at the end of the income year. So you need to test whether they were presently entitled 
as at the income end of the income year and not some reasonable period of time after the end of the year. And they noted your comments, Heidi, that it would be hard and it would be, un while there's, there's unfair situations on both sides, it, it does lead to a bit of a mess where there is uncertainty on who uh, should pay tax on an amount of income. So, so they ultimately found for, for the commissioner on the issue. The broader implication of that is, uh, well, the first implication is that any disclaimer that happens after 30 June, it might be valid for trust law purposes, meaning that the beneficiary doesn't no longer has a right to be paid a sum of money. It does not affect the tax position of that beneficiary. So in a practical sense, it makes very little sense to really ever disclaim an entitlement if you're foregoing the actual ability to get the cash, but you still will have to pay tax on that amount. Okay, so to summarize, full federal court said 3 to nil. you can still disclaim six months later. It's like a gift that is valid. And then the high court 5 to nil said, no, it's... We are going back to the 30th of June for tax purposes. If you were presently entitled on the 30th of June, then that is your accessible income. Even if under trust law, you can disclaim your entitlement later on, your tax liability doesn't change, correct? Yeah, yeah, it's fixed at that point in time and it can lead to all sorts of issues. I think the biggest issues are that those mismatch situations and also family law contexts as well where Or, or you know the, the the neighbor that you dislike situation. So it means that whoever's presently entitled at 30 June is going to pay the tax, and they might not even be aware of it, and they don't have any real ability to. While while they could disclaim their interest in the trust before 30 June, who's going to if they don't know that the trust exists or not, or that they're a beneficiary, or that there's going to be income to distribute to them anyway. Yes, but then at least for future years. Yes. So, yes, the, for this year, you didn't know and you kind of bad luck, you're caught, but then you can disclaim it and you're okay for future years. Mm, yes. And the other interesting issue is that this concept has been accepted by the ATO for many years and, and the ATO wasn't wasn't making it up when they accepted the concept that they, they were basing it on previous case that, that governed the area. It means now that those disclaimers, if they're within time, they're not, they're not valid. So you can be left in a bit of an unfortunate situation where if the commissioner is still within time and there has been a disclaimer, then People were sort of doing things based on their understanding of the law at the time, but that may not actually be the case. And it might be that, well, even if they disclaimed after the end of the income year, or sorry, if they disclaimed after the end of the income year, then it's uh, it's it's unfortunately too late. Yes, that that is what surprises me. For the commissioner to go after the default beneficiary, which most likely is an individual, he would have a two-year amendment period. I'm surprised that the individual wasn't protected by the amendment period. It must mean they didn't have any other income and hence didn't lodge a tax return, correct? Yeah, look, I don't know the details on whether it was a two or four. Um, of course, if they're a beneficiary of a trust and the trust is not carrying on a small business, then it would be four years. But 
there were the assessments were issued within that four-year period. And of course, the commissioner likes to go after the individual because the individual is usually where the um, main residence is and hence probably the main assets of the individual are. Yeah, the trust might not have assets anymore. Things might have changed. It was two or three years ago and, and some transactions been done since. So it makes sense to, to want to have that ability. Absolutely. Exactly. The trust might long be gone, but the default beneficiary still lives in his house and still owns his house. The, the really interesting thing, and I think the thing that, that this highlights is one of the benefits of having a private ruling. Let's say two years ago, you, you were advising a client and there was a disclaimer that was happening and they were considering whether or not to get a ruling or not. And on one hand, they may have thought, well, seems pretty clear that this is okay. This is acceptable. The ATO has got a got an atoid on this. So I'm just going to rely on, on that atoid. And on the other hand, you might have said, well, that atoid is not a binding document. It might help with penalties, but it doesn't help with the tax shortfall amount. I'm going to go get a ruling. And if you were to go get a ruling, you would have that protection, even if a later court decision says that that interpretation is wrong, you have the protection of private ruling. So I think it does show, it's, a, it's, a, it's an illustrative example of when there's a court decision that clarifies the law, the benefit of, of having a ruling that, that has been done before that. So to just summarize what we have, so we have the Ramston case. And when, which year was that again? 2005. 2005. And the Ramston case said you can't disclaim, correct? So even if you... No, the Ramston case said that you can disclaim so long as you disclaim within a reasonable period of time. That's right. That was the reasonable time. Then we had the ATO ID. What does interpretive decision, correct? ID stands for interpretive decision. And that was in 2010-85, correct? Yep, yep. And that one said... Essentially, that you can, if you disclaim, it'll be effective for, sec for Section 97 and taxation of trust purposes. So those two said you can disclaim as long as you do it within a reasonable time. Yep. And then we had the Carter case, and now the Carter case says something completely different. And it says, yes, you can disclaim, but only under trust law, under tax law. We base it on the 30th of June and... By then, you hadn't disclaimed yet. So under tax law, you can only disclaim before the 30th of June. If you haven't disclaimed by the 30th of June, you're caught, correct? Correct. Yeah. So uh, I've adapted this on something else I saw on, on LinkedIn, but we've now got a situation in 2022 where Carter's case says that you can be taxed on income you don't receive. So in other words, you're presently entitled and you decide to disclaim that interest. And... Section 100A and the ATO's material regarding that say that, well, you might not be taxed on income you actually do receive because it's a reimbursement agreement um, and it actually goes back to the trustee. So it's a funny time because there's considerable uncertainty at the moment on, on, these, on how taxation of trust works. And the government's also recognized this shortly before the election was called. There was a release from the assistant treasurer, which did note both the 100A contents and also Carter, Carter's case. So I suspect we haven't heard the last of this. And my prediction is there will probably be some sort of legislative amendment to deal with these type of situations to give 
sort of to prevent that quite unfair situation where someone's presently entitled to a dollar of trust income is taxed on a million dollars of tax law income and has no way out of that scenario. They can't disclaim that $1 entitlement. Yes, that's a good point. The Carter case is most dangerous for when we have a difference between tax law and trust law. But don't most modern deeds close that gap? Most modern deeds give the trustee the ability to choose what they want for the trust, for the income of the trust estate. They can choose whether or not it's income according to ordinary concepts or Section 9.5 income or, or something else entirely. You can come up with, I can come up with a vindictive scenario that based, based on a neighbor that, that is disliked. Let's say you have a trust, it has $1 of interest income and it has a million dollars as a capital gain. And let's just say the trustee says the trustee can choose, has a broad discretion what the income of the trust estate actually is. So let's just say the trustee chooses for it to be income according to ordinary concepts. So no capital gain? So no for capital gain and resolves to distribute 100% of that income to to the, the neighbor, the disliked neighbor. So then as really as night follows day, the neighbor is presently entitled to $1. They then have 100% of the income of the net income in their tax return and there's no way out of that uh, situation. So you can see why that's an unpalatable result. The problem is then, yes, ordinary concept is $1 of income, but then there's a capital gain of $10 million, and then that capital gain is then also allocated to the neighbor because they received 100% of the ordinary income, but the trustee might say the capital gain actually goes to somebody else. Yeah, well, there would only be – and the neighbor would only have an entitlement to be paid $1, $1 from the trust. Essentially, the other amount of – of money could sit in the trust and then the trust could make a capital distribution to someone else or some other transfer that doesn't go, the neighbor has no entitlement to call on that other sum of money. Yes. And so they could do the same with the tax commissioner by making the tax commissioner entitled to income under ordinary concepts and then hold the capital gain within the trust and distribute it the following year to somebody else and then the commissioner has to pay. Can the commissioner be a beneficiary of a trust deed without knowing about it? Well, any, any, that's a good question. I, and I would add that I'm not advocating any of these strategies. And I suspect if you did something like this to the commissioner, you'd really be asking for it in terms of enforcement action. So anyone can be a beneficiary of a trust. It's about who's the class is defined in the trust deed. And there is no ability, so there is no requirement to notify someone that they are a beneficiary. There's not even a no, there's not even a requirement to notify someone that there's that they have a present entitlement outside of the, the the closely held trust reporting type rules. But from a from a trust law perspective, there is no requirement to notify someone either that they're a beneficiary or that they have an entitlement. Now, of course, you, you can get into the doctrine of sham as well, where there has been some cases where it's been held that a person was purportedly made presently entitled, but no one ever intended to pay them money. There's been cases held where that has been a sham and therefore not legally effective. 
So to just very quickly come back to the um, tax commissioner, I don't think you can make the tax commissioner a default beneficiary because the tax commissioner is just a position. It's not an entity, correct? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I'm not certain on the answer to that. So this this principle goes back to certainty. And just to give a little bit of a history lesson, discretionary trusts evolved over time and, and so did trust law. It was thought at one point in time that a trust needed to it needed to be clear by name who was a beneficiary of a trust and subsequent law clarified that no someone can be a beneficiary even if they're not specifically named so long as it's certain to work out whether someone or not is a beneficiary or not and that's where you get all these classes defined to say that you know all the next of kin of Joe Bloggs, for example. So I don't know whether that would be the case or not with a, with a position. It is still at any one point in time you can still point to who that person is. So you could still theoretically work out whether or not they're a beneficiary. I'm not certain on that, but at the end of the day, I wouldn't be advocating to write that in as a default beneficiary in any event. Yes, you know, I, I know. I just think it's a funny twist. Now with the Carter case, you can't disclaim anymore. That's basically the end result, isn't it? Until we have some more clarification or until we have some more law, you can't disclaim anymore. But that can result in that under Section 100A. I'll give you one more twist just to, just as a bit of a thought, a head scratcher. So let's say we've got Joe as the controller of the trustee. And he decides to, and he has an adult child, let's say they're 18 years old. And Joe decides as trustee to appoint 180,000 of income to that adult child. And then the adult child disclaims that later on. Now, while applying Carter's case and this, this concept of disclaimer, well, you can't disclaim because Well, you can disclaim from a trust law perspective, but from an income tax law perspective, it's fixed as at 30 June. But we also have Section 100A, which says that if it's done pursuant to a reimbursement agreement, then the trustee will be assessed. So, and then let's tweak it even further. Let's say the adult child is the specified beneficiary or the default best beneficiary. So it wasn't as if anyone turned their minds to this. It was just how the deed operated. Um, Is the disclaimer, is it 100A? Are they assessed under Section 97? You can see that you can create these situations where it's it's really uncertain who will actually pay the tax still, even with this decision. I haven't thought it through, but my first thinking is that 100A basically comes over it like a cheese glass, which basically says, okay, you first work out who receives this distribution. And it's most likely the default beneficiary because you can't you can't disclaim anymore. And then Section 100A actually takes it away from the uh, default beneficiary and puts it back to the trustee because it was a reimbursement agreement because this um, default beneficiary was never going to get the income. I, so I don't think they need to contradict each other necessarily. It's just that first the Carter case kicks in. And then once you have worked out who gets the distribution, then you see whether you have a reimbursement agreement under Section 100A. Correct. You look at whether they were whether that present entitlement can be sort of ignored for tax purposes due to 
Due to 100A. Yes. But I like the uh, LinkedIn comment you said that you saw that basically says Carter means that you might pay tax on income you didn't get. And Section 100A might mean that you pay no tax on income you did get. But of course, if you actually did get the income, you know, as in a payout, then Section 100A wouldn't apply anyway. Well, it may or may not. It might be you got the money and then you gifted it to someone else. Um, so you had it for a some period of time but yes it's more dramatic to say it that way <laughs> yes exactly exactly never <laughs> never let truth come get in the way of a good story exactly like get that. in the way yeah. of a good story exactly but i think the next steps will on this are i think we will see something in the future at some point by the government as for when i don't know they've got a few other priorities even from a tax law perspective there's still We don't really know where, where we're at with Division 7A, for example. Um, so I think this, I'm not sure it's going to be priority number one uh, to address this. Welcome back. So for tax purposes, you can't disclaim trust income after you have become presently entitled as of 30th of June. That is a big change. So remember the Carter case. That is the case that changed everything around trust disclaimers, trust income disclaimers. For the next episode, episode 363, I am not 100% sure yet what it will be, but I think, and sorry, now I do know what it will be. Let's go back to offshoring one more time. I have mentioned TOR many times, and it is time that we discuss the alternative you have, and that is to set up your own team. So next week in episode 363, let's go into the nitty gritty details of how to build your team overseas without a labor hire agency where to find your staff, how to employ, how to manage and how to pay them. So that is the plan for next week. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.